Welcome to your podcast, Leadership is Tricky, where we'll tackle various topics, challenges, and experiences as it relates to your investment in leadership. So let's design success together. Now your hosts. Yeah, that was a challenge. Um, right. Because you just, you have to be in the same space physically with people. I, I don't know that virtually works as well. Uh, or at least from my experience, it did not. Um, and so that was challenging when we, when the pandemic hit and we had to switch to virtual platforms and I wasn't able to see my staff uh, physically, um, we were communicating, uh, but it's not the same. And it, and it was, it was harder to get a sense of um, how people were doing. So one of the things that I would do is, you know, we would have these virtual meetings, but after that, <clears throat> I would call people individually and just, hey, how's you know, how's this going? And it would be about some issue, but but being able to have the individual conversation with them, then it it, it led to a little bit more personal interaction and other things would come to light. And it's like, okay, well, let's let's do it this way. Yeah, I can see that's a bit of a challenge. I can see maybe you're struggling with this or or um let's let's find another uh way to accomplish this that's gonna be difficult in this environment. So um, much more productive conversations uh, when I had them one-on-one with with people. So I just want to jump in on this real quick. I know we're, uh, yeah, we've got some time, but um, yeah. So what I found was, is like the people that I had met before we went to the virtual environment where we already had that meaningful collection and, and, and relationship, um, it translated into the virtual space because we already knew each other and our tendencies and those types of things. It was always the people that were hired on during the full on telework where we had never met physically, you know, and it was just really me calling them on, uh, you know, Microsoft teams or, you know, whatever platform you use, but we didn't have that connection. So it was just this, this virtual avatar looking at me lighting up, or the video of this person that I've never met. So there was no meaningful connection. So it was kind of like, meh, right? And then and then even, you know, when we finally all came back into the office and I'm meeting these people physically for the first time, it was really hard for them to warm up to me or even, or, or try to break down that barrier of this virtual space because, you know, they've been talking to me for the last two years, but they don't know who I am or what I'm about, right? Um, so it, 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 I think that's been difficult is connecting to those people now that came on during the whole virtual world and then the whole meeting piece right is the 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 somewhat virtual and then physical people in the physical space where if they're in the physical space and you're in the physical space you're gonna forget about the people in virtual land right and you know there's some resentment that starts to build on with with these people here like i can't be heard you guys aren't following my chat there's a distraction i can't unmute I can't. <laughs> I, I just said a thousand words. I oh, forget it. I'm good. Right? You know, so it's it's been difficult leading through all of that, um, and creating those those meaningful connections with folks. It's just it's been tough. So it's well, one. One of the ways I was able to mitigate that was again this one on one. So we we did onboard mostly interns during that time, and and so then I would call them up and just we would hey, tell me about yourself. 
that's the whole conversation. It wasn't, hey, we're doing this. This is the objective. I want you to know, I want you, what, what are you working on? No, no, no. It was, tell me about yourself. Tell me where you're from. How's it going? So try as best as we could to build that personal connection. And so that when we came back into the office, it made it a little less awkward. But but again, one of the first things I did when we came back into the office was that was on the agenda day one was, no, 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 before we have meetings and everything, I want to meet the people I have not met. That's first. Then we'll have the meetings. Right. I think I'm going to steal that. Yeah. All right. Well, and I I, I, I stole, well, I, I adapted, What her name is uh, Susie Orman, the kind of financial advisor. Yeah. And she says, uh, it's people first, then money, then things. Yeah. And I adapted that to, and what I would tell you know, people that I work with, I said, no, it's people first, then projects and programs. I, that that's our new slogan now. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but I stole it. <laughs> I'm just happy you led with people first. I, again, yeah. I, I think there's a big takeaway to anybody listening to this and watching us. Um, like, don't forget that. That's the North Star. We all need to you know, strive, strive to be and uh, and keep keep right here as we're yep. trying to get things done. You know, because there's Eric. You say, man, there's always more work, but there's not the same people there. You know, and you have these yeah. really awesome moments with people that you'll never forget, and uh, that's what really kind of leads us down our, uh, our our professional and personal lives. You know, I know we're veering away from you, Darian, so we're going to no, get no, into no. this conversation, but. No, so, so a lot of the discussions I've been having with folks is, you know, and I say it all the time is I don't really care about the work. Mm. It's not that I don't care about the outcomes, right? Right. Because we're there to do a job. I do care about the outcomes, but how we get to the outcomes, I don't really care. Mm. Right. What I care about is the people like my number one priority the last two years since I've taken over in this job has been people. Number one priority is people first. Right. And my, and when, when you look at my peers, right, my peers, you know, there's nowhere in their top 10 priorities as people even mentioned mm. but you know focus on people I focus on professional development i focus on enveloping that you know i keep saying meaningful connections right because that's what i care about because at the end of the day the work is infinite it's not going to stop right the, the faces will change but the work is going to just continue it's kind of like the, the the gerbil on the wheel right it's not going to go anywhere the work is going to be there that thing is going to keep churning and and, and I think I said it on uh, an episode, you know, way back, but I came home one day and I was, you know, complaining and, and I was upset. And my wife's like, what are you worried about? You work for the government. You're just a screw, right? You're not even a cog in the machine. You know, you're a screw. And when you strip the screw gets stripped, they're going to pull you out and put another one in. Right. So I took that as I need to have the biggest impact on people mm. and impact their lives and their families' lives. And those are the things that they'll remember forever. You know, it's not going to be the tasks or the functions that they had while they were there because they're going to be in another job. I'm not going to care about that again. Okay. Or I'm going to leave and, you know, things are going to fall apart and, you know, and it's going to be someone else in the seat doing the work. You know, I just, I, that's what I care about. I care about is impacting people's lives. And that's what I really right. set out to do every day. And um, yeah, so just want to throw it that, out there. Right. Yeah, but, but you've heard this, you've heard. People will not remember what you do. People will remember how you made them feel. Right. And so if they have developed a connection with you and they feel close to you or they feel that you cared, 
about the work, you cared about them as they produced the work, uh, then they remember you and they remember you normally uh, favorably. Uh, and that to me is why people come first and you have to take care of them and then people will take care of you. It's always, we're always focused on where we're trying to go and what we're trying to accomplish. We all are trying to, in my case, advance U.S. foreign policy, but I can't do that unless the people um, see me as trustworthy, as a person who has integrity, as a person who cares about them and the mission, uh, and to the extent that they they understand that I care about those attributes, then they're willing to, as Colin Powell used to say, follow me if, if for no other reason than out of uh, curiosity. <laughs> right. Right. But the point is they're willing to follow. Right. All right. So uh, just to kind of viewers back, <laughs> thanks, Steve. Uh, you got us going off on the, uh, on a different path, but no, that's good. It was good discussion, but um yeah, so I know in your in your role, right? Um, you know, you have a, a wide breadth of you know knowledge and you know on the, all the global challenges, any political discourse that's happening throughout the world. Um, and and I know you've been on a ton of panels because you know I did my research on you. I was kind of stalking you before we got <laughs> to, to here to today. But um, you know, what are some of the biggest issues you feel like you know the, just just from a, from a world perspective that we need to tackle? You know, maybe you pick your top one or two or or, or three, but um, and, and then I have a, a follow-on question for that. So, and it, it's going to sound Pollyannish, but because it's, and it's also what I'm currently dealing with, like, as I try to go out and, and inspire and encourage people to think about a career, uh, in diplomacy, um, it is with the genuine, uh, desire that people understand this is another way to serve the country. And so I, in my job, a lot of people say, oh, well, you're a recruiter. And I really take issue with that. And I quibble about it. And I say, no, look, I'm not a, I'm not a recruiter. I'm not a recruiter. I, I am here to inspire you. This is not about a job. This is about a way of life and a, a way that we serve the country. I know many people say, well, the military. Yes, that is also a way to serve the country, but there are numerous ways to serve the country. And this is another way. And, and then I describe for um, particularly younger individuals that, um, as you were saying, both you and Steve were saying earlier, you need, I need your, your, authentic self to show up. I don't need your representative to show up because what we're looking for now, and this is key to, in order to, for us to, the United States to overcome the challenges that we face in the 21st century, whether that be climate change, whether that be uh, energy sources, or whether that be uh, food scarcity, whatever those challenges are, they're is no single country in the world that can solely singularly solve those problems. And so what becomes essential is that people who see it as a global issue, people who are able to make connections with other people, define common ground and common understanding so that we can work on those issues together. Um, what each of us may contribute may be different, and it may be disproportionate, but all of us have to contribute if we're going to overcome and solve these issues. And so here's what I tell people. Yes, 
you will hear that the State Department is trying to build a 21st century workforce. And you will also hear, well, we want diversity. We do not want diversity for the sake of diversity. We want diversity of thought. <clears throat> and so that requires that when you onboard and you get an opportunity to sit at the decision-making tables, I need you to represent who you are, your background, your perspectives at that table. It does us no good if you cannot advocate for yourself and say, this is what I think, this is what I believe, because that's what we're going to need. That's what we're going to need. And around that decision-making table, I want outgoing baby boomers. I want Gen X. I want the millennials. I want everyone at that table because that reflects the society that we live in. We have to have that conversation within our society. We have to have that conversation at our decision-making tables when we're making those decisions so that people feel like, oh, well, my point of view was at least represented, right? And that is critical to building this 21st century workforce that's going to allow us to overcome those challenges. So that is what I try to explain to people. Yeah, so one of the things that I struggle with, and we 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 have this conversation pretty often, myself and and Dr. Carter, who's been on the show uh, a few times, uh, we we've been talking about uh, lately is we we have a lot of the the, the baby boomers, you know, the you know the, the older generation folks that have always done it a certain way, that are sitting at the top and they're the decision makers, right? Then you have your your layer of middle management, right, which is still a certain demographic. Right, it's not very diverse at all. Then you have an entire, even if you have an entire workforce that's pretty diverse, and you know whether it's their cultural background, whether it's their educational background, whether it's you know their their age, whether in society, um, they might be coming up with the ideas, and they might be coming up with more progressive processes. They might be coming up with all these things, but it's these other layers that are they are not open to all of these new things, right? So while we say we want this 21st century workforce, we want this digital transformation, we want these fresh ideas to do things better and more efficient, right? We have to break this barrier up here, right? And, and, and allow for some of these folks and some of these ideas and thoughts, you know, whether it's, you know, having more women at the table because there's not enough of them, you know, whether they're, they're black or white, there's just not enough women. Right. You know, people of color, people of different backgrounds and, and, and all of that, they're just not at the table to make those decisions. So some of those ideas and those, those processes sit on, on um, you know, deaf ears. And, you know, I say it all the time. Most of the time, I'm the only person of color at the table. Yeah. Right. And uh, I, mean, I can I look, empathize with that, <laughs> you know, but if I look to my left or right, there's not a lot of women at the table. Right. Um right. You know, but then I, I used to, I will tell you, and because I had mentors and coaches and advocates, right, bringing me up and propping me up, but then I was closed-minded as well. And then me and Steve talk about this all the time. The first time me and Steve sat in a meeting where he says, ah, I don't think we need bosses. And I looked and I'm like, who's this guy coming up with these crazy, these crazy new ideas? But, you know, he was a positive disruptor, right? You know, where he, he saw change, he probably saw things maybe like five or six years before the pandemic on how we should work, mm. you know, but I wasn't ready for that yet. So I was, but, you know, I've been more open now to, to really taking in all this feedback and these new ideas and this melting pot of goodness that's happening underneath me and taking that to push things forward and advocate for them. But I think that's, 
I think that's what I'm getting at. It's like we need more people to advocate for all of these, this ideation and this greatness is happening below us and not letting it be stymied and stuck because of the way we used to always do things and being comfort comfortable in, in our own status quo. So I just I just want to throw that out there is that that's I think that's a difficult that's a right. difficult barrier that we we really need to start breaking through is is, is those couple layers of um lack of diversity of I'd like to ask another pointed question to you Darian so you've you've highlighted the need for that diversity of thought for this you know new workforce of the future and basically just more diversity and inclusion in general do you see this in common with our allies and partners that you serving as a foreign service officer, do you see that in common with those countries as well? Are they trying to do the same thing? I think other countries talk about it. Um, and so do we. I, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of progress. Like people pay homage to it, but I, I when you try to look and say, well, practically what have you done and then i just don't see the follow-up there um and but us too this gets back to the point that eric was just making that um what i found is i have to give people a practical reason for why diversity matters right and i always tell them it's about diversity of thought bringing new perspectives to the table so here is one example that i tell people of why it matters i am from the small town i told you from from hugo oklahoma and uh, one time when i was uh, riding in the vehicle with my uncle um he uh, he was taking me over to my grandparents nursing home and he stopped the vehicle and as you know this is any small rural town you know he's got a gun rack in the back of the window it's a pickup truck and he pulls over and he had saw a squirrel and he took out his rifle from the back of the window and he shot the squirrel. Now, this is kind of in the middle of, you know, town. And um, then the police came and it wasn't any panic or anything. It just said, now, Jack, that was my uncle's name. Jack, you know better than that. You can't go discharging a firearm in the middle of the city. And um, Jack said, my uncle said, yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, I saw the squirrel. Squirrels do. And he's like, yeah, but don't do that. All right. You know better than that. Don't, don't, don't discharge the firearm in the middle of the city. And that was the end of it. Now, this is the story I told Germans because Germans, when I would interact with them and gun control would come up, they would think that we were crazy as Americans. They're like, I don't understand this. This is like patently obvious that you need better gun control uh, and you need to take action. We don't, we seriously do not understand why it is so difficult for you to do that. Well, I tell that story to say, so that is my uncle's reality, right? And that is a very different reality from the people who live in the city. And if you know anything about our political structure, it does make a difference. I mean, of how we vote, where we vote, and how those votes are cast. And so um, I explained all of this, that you have rural America and you have metropolitan America, and then a little bit about the political structure and how votes are counted, because it's not about majority always wins, right? And so when we go through that, and they they finally said, 
you know what? For the first time, I understand why this is so difficult. Um, we still think it's crazy. We still don't, we still don't, we still think it, it, it makes a great deal of sense for you to have gun control. But for the first time, we understand why this is such a challenge in the States. And that's my point about diversity of thought. I come from a small town. I was able to give that example that people could, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Um, and that's the whole point. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that diversity of thought at the table and being able to make that common connection, define the common ground, then the conversation stops. Right. And in diplomacy, that is fatal if the conversation stops. So it's always trying to keep the conversation going and find those com those common points and places where you know we can understand one another. And so that's the example that I always give and why this really matters. And so when in the States, people are like, oh, this is diversity for the sake of diversity. And I say, no, this is not diversity for the sake of diversity. Let me explain to you how it has a true impact and makes a difference in the real world. And I give that example. What an I I can't applaud you more for hearkening back to your family's you know like situation there because that was our leading question to you is you know when you are working with you know foreign entities such as you know what you've done how do you gain that cooperation collaboration and you know progress you just said it conversation stops danger happens danger occurs assumptions are made decisions are made without all the facts and details at the table. And you don't get to that common understanding. We call it shared understanding, but that's really what it is at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Have you ever been in a situation where a conversation stopped and emergency measures had to like be employed, if you will, to, to jumpstart that convo back again? Have you ever been in a situation like that? I have, and it was very unfortunate. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was very unfortunate that... Uh, In, the, in that particular case, the, 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 for lack of better terminology, I'm just going to say the powers that were had a view that overwhelmed everyone else. And it was, that was very unfortunate because you have to have buy-in along the way. You have to have people at least understand why we're choosing to take a decision in a particular path and understand the impact that it's going to have. So even if people disagree with you, it is essential that they say, okay, I disagree, but I understand. And in this, in this, this instance, the people did not understand. They didn't know why the, um, the powers that were, were tired of explaining and they didn't really explain, but they found themselves on the defensive. It's like, we were doing this. <laughs> <laughs> all conversations stopped and nothing good came of that. Nothing good came of that. Matter of fact, what it then required is for individuals like me, and I wasn't the only one, to come back and try and explain the situation as best we could to those who were impacted. Yeah, I, yeah not to, I, I do apologize if this was a sensitive <laughs> question. I, I think. I'm curious about situations like that. And I'll be honest, I live in a blissful ignorance here in America where, you know, we only hear about these things in movies and we pretend that they don't actually exist. And I can only imagine how tense those uh, moments become because we're talking about real people, real lives, potentially on the other end yep. of that impasse. So I appreciate you sharing as much as you could, at least. <laughs> yeah. No. 
Um, no, it, it, yeah, those are those are difficult situations. But again, uh, I'm heartened by the fact that there are there is a cadre of us who really are concerned about trying to do the right thing to make sure that we focus on people, take care of people, um, even sometimes when we don't get the policy right. Um, but we try, we try. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, uh, when I was at Harvard, uh, I had a professor, Roger Porter, and he served multiple administrations and he has a book and it's called presidential decision-making. <laughs> and, and I have it highlighted in the book. I love it. It's just, there's, a, there's just one sentence in there that I, if you take anything away from the book, I love that part where it says the government's slow on purpose. <laughs> Right, because we have to make the right decisions to to um, impact the most um, impact the most citizens with the decisions that we make. It's, yeah. it, and I'm paraphrasing here. You know, right. Even though I like the sentence, I couldn't remember it on the fly. So you guys got me flustered. So <laughs> well, I was gonna give. I was gonna. I was. I was racking my brain. I wanted to give you and Steve a practical example, and so then I came. Here's one. Um. So. Here's one where the conversation almost stopped, but it didn't. As I mentioned earlier, um, that every assignment I've ever had, I always go out and I speak to students, um, high school students and university students as part of our public diplomacy platform. Almost all foreign service officers do this. Um, I've done it every post. And so anyway, I was serving in Australia and I was going out and I was speaking to university students. and. Uh, this was back in, I think I served from 2009 to 2012 in Australia. So it was during that time frame. And um, I was speaking to the students and that all of a sudden, some of the Australian students said, well, we don't even know why you're here. <laughs> what do you mean? And like, yeah, United States is a spent power. Um, the future is China. So uh, we don't really understand why you're here. We're not we're not concerned about the United States. You're on decline, and and China is ascendant, and we're gonna hitch our star to China, and they're the future. And to say that I was distressed is an understatement. <laughs> so I went back, um, I went back, and I was saying, hey, this is what I'm hearing, and so the 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 conversation almost stopped there. And I said, well, eventually my boss said, well, do you have a solution? And I said, I have an idea. And okay. I said, well, here's what I think we should do. I think we should start an internship program where we bring Australian university students in to in intern in our consulate so that they can work side by side with us as we work side by side as Americans and Australians, I mean Australian staff on bilateral issues so they can see how deep and consequential the bilateral relationship is between America and Australia because I don't think that these students have that understanding. And if we can help them to have that understanding, I think we'll be better off. Now, here's what's interesting. I was the management officer, and this is not something that a management officer would normally do because I just told you I do this as part of the public diplomacy platform. And people were like, well, you're completely out of your lane. And I said, no, look, I'm identifying an issue. There is an issue and we need to address that issue. Here's my idea. Um, people, we're not doing this. We're too busy. We don't have time to do this. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll take it on. 
And if it fails, it fails. I'll do it. And luckily, you know, I had a really good boss. And my boss was like, all right, run with it. You do it. So we end up signing. Uh, well, I didn't. He did. I we got we did the negotiations with a couple of universities. And once we got them to the point that we had an agreement, then we formalized it, wrote up the MOUs. We had a ceremony where my boss then signed those MOUs. And the first iteration, we had 92 students from all around Australia sign up for four slots. Um, and but here's the thing. Just because we did that, and that first year was very successful, we then had the second iteration, I left, and then I found out subsequently that that program still runs. This is now 12 years later, that program still runs, we bring in students, and here's the amplification effect that has happened. Over that time, these Australian students go back and they're talking to other students about their experiences. They're talking to their family about their experiences. They're talking to university officials about those experiences and saying, wait a minute, did you know about this was going on with between the United States and Australia? Did you know about this policy? Did you know about this policy? So it was having the intended effect, right? It wasn't just the internship. It was the word of mouth of their actual experience and then other people talking about it and saying, hey, you should think about doing this. This, this was really enriching ex experience. And that's part of the reason why I think it continues, you know, like I said, 12 years later. Oh, that's extremely cool. Um, just to see your legacy, right? Um, you, you, know, you can always point back to it and be like, I started that. I did that, you know, and. Uh, well, I always have to say, this is we, because you don't, you, you know, that's the thing. You never do anything by yourself. I mean, I had to pull in commerce because there we have commerce, secret service, we had TSA um, and a couple other agencies, plus my own staff at the time of like, okay, and that was extra work for them. This was not in their normal portfolio. And, but, you know, we were able to discuss it, discuss it from a visionary point of view. And they were like, all right, we're on board. And then when we so, so, met with so, success, then it was good. Yeah, so true. So so I say you, right? Because when you talk because when, when you talk about adaptive leadership, mm -hmm. is you've identified a problem, right? And you had to get others that would you know unite and mobilize behind that problem set. But it was you that nudged it forward. And even when you pull back, right, you can come in and out of that as it's starting to gain momentum and, and build, right? Um, because if you wouldn't have said, I'll take it on. It never would have happened. Right. Right. That's true. And all That's the fence sitters that probably thought it probably would have been a good idea. They didn't, they wouldn't have done it. Right. It took you to say, I'm going to do it. I'll take it on. Right. And if it fails, it falls on my shoulders. Because like we said earlier in the, in the show is that when things fail, that's when you'll get feedback. Right. So it's running, right? And it took you to be like, oh man, I know about that program, right? Because you started it. So take the credit, be unapologetic about it, um, <laughs> right? That, yeah. hey, you you got this thing going, right? And that's that's that adaptive leadership that we all need across the world. Um, so so with that though, I just want to ask the, because I think we're almost at time here. I'm oh, probably a bit over. I'm probably have to make two episodes out of this one, but um, it's been great dialogue. And, but, you know, so, so, 
with all of your engagements with the youth and the panels that you've done and the assignments that you've that you've been a part of and the people that you've impacted, right? Um, you know, if there's that one thing you would urge the youth, right? For those that are out there that probably for the first time they're listening in and they're they know what a foreign service officer is, you know, they know about embassies, know about these things that are happening in the world. You know, what's that one thing that you would tell them? you would urge them to go out and do if they want to follow in your footsteps or even change the world? Um, it is vital that they explore, um, experience the world, go out, do things. And um, when I don't, even when they're in high school, if you have the opportunity to do an exchange program or a study abroad, do it in high school. If you have to wait until you're in university, then do it in university. And I don't even care what kinds of experiences they are. I don't care if it's missionary work or it's volunteer work or counselor work. Um, I want people, young people to think it is not, don't acquire knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Knowledge is to be applied. And so if you tell me you took a communications course, my next question to you is, how'd you apply it? What'd you do? Did you go and speak in front of a high school group? Did you go be a camp counselor where you utilize those skills? I want to know how you applied it. And going and having those experiences of studying abroad, doing exchange program, doing Peace Corps, Teach for America, there's a whole host of things that you can do. And these days, you don't even have to pay for it. When I did my study abroad, I had to pay for it. These days, you know, there is support from private organizations or from government to help you facilitate that, even for foreign languages. Mm. We even have a program in the State Department where we've identified, well, Congress identified certain languages as critical to national security. And Congress has given funds for us to have a critical language scholarship where we build a cadre of Americans to speak those languages, start learning those languages. Go oh, have those experiences. That's 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 my advice. Have those experiences so that you can begin to understand another person's perspective and another person's point of view. Um, it is not um, hugely beneficial if you only live in your silo and you develop your world all based on where you sit, you need to sit outside of your silo and look back at it and kind of go, huh, that's not what I thought it was. Or at least just, just, just think through that being outside of it and looking from the outside in will be hugely beneficial. And that's my advice for everybody. Uh, young people in particular, but everybody. Hey, Darian, I, I want to bring this also full circle. You started this whole conversation with us today uh, talking about one word, and that was curiosity. I mm -hmm. think that's what I'm hearing from all of this uh, explanation that, yes, go experience, gain knowledge, apply said knowledge to whatever it is in your walk of life. Um, but we all need to have that curiosity and challenge our own assumptions and our own thought processes. And we talked about these core values and norms and things that we hold true. Uh, maybe they need to be disrupted from time to time because life is always changing outside our doors and windows and just knowing how that's, that's working. Um, I, I think that's pretty powerful. 
kind of final question to you. Um, really appreciate everything you've said, but you know, overall with, with leadership techniques that you've seen, especially, especially as a foreign service officer, what are some of the, like the key differences that you've seen that work or don't work and kind of like your words of advice as we depart today? I think the one piece of advice I would give is to say, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about everybody else around you. And I think to be an effective, productive leader, you have to understand it's not about you. Um, if you can think, how do I support that person? How do I professionally develop that person? How do I draw the talent and skills out of them? How do I make them or help them to be better? If you think like that, then I think, uh, you know, people, you can be a successful leader. Um, if you think it's about, it's about me, everyone has to answer to me, everyone has to cater to me, it's, I have all the, the correct, um, only my ideas are the most effective ideas, only the path that I want to follow is the correct path. If you think like that, I don't think that that's an effective leader. You, you will not be an effective leader, in my opinion. So it's about everyone else. Uh, uh, beautiful words. I can't thank you enough for the time you've given us. I know that, you know, back to your original statement, you know, we've captured a lot more than probably you've given us. So thank you so much. Uh, you know, that, that wraps up our first episode of season four. Really do uh, want to thank you and thank the audience for listening in. Um, Eric, I've got many thoughts, but what's your final thought from today? No, I, uh, yeah, just from me, Darian, I, I appreciate um, the time. I'm glad that we can make this happen. Um, you know, as we progress, you know, we'll probably bring you back on if you have the time. Um, I'd love to do a panel this season. So we'll see if we can get a get a panel together and do something like that. Um, but no, I, I want to thank you for your service. Um, you know, your your many years of, of service to our country and, and pushing our nation's interests and, and really affecting people, you know, every step of the way. I know our conversation, you know, you 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 touched me and that's why I wanted to, you know, stay in touch with you and reach out. And this has been a very enlightening episode. And, um, you know, I just want you to, you know, uh, I just want to thank you for, for coming on Leadership is Tricky and, and helping us further um, sharing experience with everyone that's out there. And uh, yeah, so what we'll do and we do with everyone that comes on is we'll, we'll leave the last thought with you and then we'll close the episode. Well, Eric and Steve, thank you very much for the opportunity. And like you said, Eric, it was, uh, I think we had a connection when we first met and it's nice that we can complete this circle. And hopefully um, this is the first of many times that we might be able to have discussions. Um, so I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for what you do. I think it's important to point out that leadership truly is tricky, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth the journey. So thank you yeah, thank for you. letting me share my journey. All right. So in closing, thank, thanks, everyone, for uh, if you're a first time listener, thanks for listening in. If you're a return listener, thanks for uh, following Leadership is Tricky and contributing to the platform. You can find us on all major uh, platforms, uh, whether it's Apple, Spotify, et cetera. Uh, you can also uh, see, uh, listen to our podcast at leadershipistricky.com. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, uh, you can email me at eric at leadershipistricky.com or use the chat feature on the website and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. All right, thanks for listening in. Uh, Leadership is Tricky is out from here. Thanks.